Well, good morning, friends. Great to see you in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. It is uh, getting warm outside, isn't it? And uh, it's already been warm inside, though, hasn't it, as we've been studying God's Word together. And uh, he, uh, he warms up, I don't know about you, he warms up my, my heart. Maybe that's, I don't, maybe that's a picture you can relate to. When I um, feast on the Word of God with you and, and, and on my own, uh, he warms my heart. He makes me glad. He gives me strength, joy, endurance to keep running the race that's set before us. Always good to come to the Word of God. And we're coming reluctantly to the end of John's Gospel this morning. It's been a wonderful journey, and uh, it's hard to think back. You'd have to, you'd have to look. I think we're around 85 sermons or so into this book. And uh, so if you have a, you know, some of you like to binge watch stuff, right? So you go back and binge watch or binge listen to the Gospel of John sometime. Uh, it'll, do, it'll do you good. We've, I, I've told people that whenever I'm in a Gospel, we've preached through two Gospels since I've been at Heather Hills. Uh, the Gospel of Luke and now uh, the Gospel of John. And um, I, I, I think that the gospel genre is one of my favorites to preach because it's Jesus every week. You know what I mean? Every, every single week, it's about Jesus. And, and as we, even as we move to the book of Ecclesiastes next Sunday, and we move excitedly onto the book of Ecclesiastes, we think it's going to be a wonderful study uh, and very relevant for all of us in this day and age as well. Um, and we will, as we go through the, the book of Ecclesiastes, seek to point us to the Lord Jesus wherever we can do that legitimately in that book. But in the Gospels, it's Jesus every week, and it's so sweet. Uh, it's like you're, you're with him on the journey. And uh, so we come reluctantly to the end of John's Gospel today. And just a reminder, I think someone mentioned earlier, we do have those scripture journals out there at the information table for Ecclesiastes. If you'd like to pick one of those up, you'll be ready for uh, next Sunday and the first message in Ecclesiastes. One of my uh, favorite novels, admittedly, I don't do a lot of uh, fictional reading anymore. I did when I was was younger, when I was school age, uh, and a little bit while I was in my teens as well. and I love to read, um, but one of my favorite novels is the classic by Charles Dickens uh, entitled Great Expectations. Anyone read that one before? Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. It's, a, it's about a seven-year-old orphan named Pip, and it tells the story of his coming of age. And he actually kind of tells the story first person as you're going through the book, which makes it interesting. He tells about all the adventures and the misadventures that he has along the way, and and at the end of the book, um, I won't spoil it too much if you haven't read it, but uh, it's, I mean, it's been around for a while, folks. So, um, But um, at the end of the book, uh, Pip is much older and wiser than the seven-year-old he started off as. Uh, he has a reunion with uh, a young lady, an older lady now named Estella, who was his childhood love, uh, who he was never able to connect with. 
uh, in marriage or in life. And, um, and there's a long journey with Estella as well. But in the original draft, Charles Dickens had the last line in his book left Pip and Estella meeting each other again, but with no hope of ever coming together romantically. And it was kind of, it's, it's kind of like one of those, uh, you, you'd read the, the ending, and it's like, huh, yeah? I remember back when I was a teenager, how many of you used to read those choose-your-own-adventure books? You remember when they came out, you, you'd be reading along, and then you'd come to the bottom of the page, and it would say, if you want him to do this, go to page If you want them to do this, go to page. And you kind of chart your own adventure through the book, uh, which kind of made it nice because you had somewhat of the ending that you wanted. And sometimes you read a novel or a book and you come to the end of the story and um, it just seems unresolved. The author leaves you hanging. In fact, in the case of Great Expectations, one of Charles Dickens' close friends read the draft, the manuscript, and hated the ending so much that he impressed strongly on Charles Dickens, and Dickens actually went back. Rare did he do this. He went back and he changed a few words in the last sentence, which gives a glimmer of hope for a future for the estranged couple. And it made all the difference in the world, if you're reading the ending. It would be possible to read John through chapter 20, And find it to be, in many respects, a finished work. Look at the final verses there in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. The end. Sounds like a good ending, right? Well, not quite. There's a couple of stories that are unresolved. Stories that John wanted resolved in his account of the life of Jesus. Stories that were not resolved in the other Gospels that had already been written. Pastor Trey showed us the first one last Sunday in Peter's restoration to ministry. It's a beautiful account, isn't it? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the light comes on. It fills in the gaps for us between Peter's horrible denial before the crucifixion and what he ends up doing in Acts chapter 2 and throughout the rest of what we know of his life. It also tells us here in our text the death that Jesus predicted Peter would die. And that serves as the segue to the the second unresolved story. Not only Peter's restoration to Jesus and to ministry, but also an unresolved story about John himself and a rumor that had sprung up in the church about him. And we find that in this morning's text. In verse 24, John wrote that his testimony is true. And I want us to to use that as a framework this morning for these final verses and see how the testimony of Jesus is true for Peter, for John, and for everyone. 
Notice first of all, verses 20 and 21, the testimony is true for Peter. Notice what Peter does after being told about his own future. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Now this is John, and he's following Jesus. He's described as the one whom Jesus loved. He's also described here as the one who also had leaned back against him, Jesus, during the supper, back in John 13, the upper room, and and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So he's identified here in two ways. And Peter draws our attention to him. Peter turned and saw the disciple. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, we've been seeing both of these men together, haven't we? Remember when the tomb, recently in our, in our study, when the tomb was discovered to be empty early in the morning, the women went to Peter and John, and they came to the tomb. Remember? John got there first, and then Peter came and, and went right into the tomb and discovered it was empty. That's the way it's been all through this Gospel. Peter and John together, like a team. They're often together in the Bible. And I, and I don't think in Peter's question here about John, I don't think there's a sense of competition like, oh, I'm going to die on a cross. What's going to happen to him? I hope it's worse. You know, it wasn't that. It's, it's, I think it's simply a recognition. Both of these men have an important relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, kind of the spokesman of the group, the, 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 the brash you know, daring one who would draw his sword against a a mob of 400 soldiers in the garden at at night, you know? The one who says, I'll never deny you, and then goes on to deny. John, the one who leaned up against his chest during supper, a very close, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus, the one whom he loved. These men had an important relationship with the Lord Jesus He had often selected them to be with him at at difficult times in his life and ministry. Often the three of them, Peter, James, and John, would be with the Lord in difficult times. So once again, the spotlight falls on this man, a colleague of Peter's, and the emphasis is on the Lord's final words to him. Now, we're told something else significant about John, too. We're told that he was following them. Following Jesus. And that's an important word, following. Because at the end of verse 19, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. After saying to him, you know, he's going to die, he then recalls Peter. He goes back to the very first words that he had ever said to Peter. Right at the beginning of their relationship. Right on the Sea of Galilee. Right by the fishing boats. When he said, follow me. And he followed him. Now, after his reinstatement, after the restoration of fellowship, there is this recalling. Follow me. And and then immediately, using the same language, we hear that John is following Jesus. That is, following him as a disciple, as well as literally following the two of them as they walk. 
And we're meant to see something here as we, as we see the contrast between these two men in this last chapter. John's obedience in action, following Jesus, in contrast to Peter's love, which was, had been in, uncertain as a result of his denial. Here is John quietly getting on with the business of following Jesus. Jesus gets up and starts walking. John's close behind. And that's what prompts Peter's question. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What do you think Peter has in his mind? Well, the Lord has just told him, you're going to follow me into a martyr's death. So he looks at John, he sees John behind them, who had been his close friend over all these years with Jesus, and he says, so what about this man? What course will his life take? He's curious about the way life will pan out for John, and and that's understandable to us, isn't it? Not many of us, probably none of us, are ever going to get a prophecy telling us how we're going to die. Or what's going to happen specifically in our future. We don't get to know that information. But we understand, I think, a little bit of what's going on in Peter's mind, don't we? Don't we often have similar questions in our lives? Sometimes we we look back at our lives, don't we? In retrospect and and ask, I wonder wonder what would have happened if we had done this or done that instead of this. Where would we be now? What differences would that have made to our family? Or or, or we look at somebody else and we think, why is their life so much easier than mine? Or or we look at someone else and and we see everything seems to be going wrong for them. And and we're curious. We want to know why. Why do things happen to people? What's going to happen to people? We stalk people on Facebook. We want to know what's going on. We're curious. And Jesus' response to this inquisitiveness, this speculation that Peter wants to engage in, is pretty decisive. Uh, In fact, I think that from Jesus' response here, we are meant to learn something quite significant for our daily Christian lives from his answer. And it's really something I want to spend some time on here in this next point. But Peter will learn in time that Jesus' testimony is true for his life. But then secondly, in the next couple of verses, the testimony is true for John. Jesus said to him, to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus' answer to Peter is basically, none of your business. Isn't that what he says? But I want you to see something here in his response that there's an emphasis here on the power and the authority of Jesus in his response to Peter. When he says, if it is my will, he's not speaking in some kind of vague language. You know, like, you know, maybe I'll decide that it'll be my will. He's saying, I have something in mind for his life. 
I have a will. I know what's going to happen to this man. And so what he does to Peter is he rebukes Peter and his futile speculation as to the will of God. Now, he's told Peter. So this is what might be confusing to Peter a little bit, right? He's told Peter that he would die in order to prove to us that his will is the will of God. So in other words, that his testimony is true. So Peter, when you die a martyr's death, like I predicted you will, um, you'll know, and everyone else that heard this prediction or heard about this prediction will know that what I said is true, that it came to pass. But that's not what happened with John. He doesn't tell John what's going to happen to him. And he doesn't tell us what's going to happen to us. And he does it for a different reason. He does it so that we might trust him. So he makes this prophecy about Peter so that we might know that he knows and has the future in his hands and that it will unfold according to his will. He doesn't tell us what's ahead of us so that we might live trusting him and following him in a believing way. But the people around him who were there and had heard Jesus speak took it the wrong way. They took it as a prophecy that John would never die. And so John immediately dispels that false understanding. Look at verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Think about this for a minute. To penetrate into the mind and will of God that is not revealed to us is above our pay grade as creatures. There is a divide between the creator and the creature, between the infinite and the finite. And what Jesus teaches us here is that our duty is not to know everything, but to follow. The same Lord who set, off, who set aside Peter's path of discipleship and let him know what that path would be is the same Lord who has determined your way and my way in life and John's way in his life, but has not let us know. Rather, he has said to all of us, follow me. My life, your life, Peter's life, John's life is in the will of God. Here's how Psalms put it. Uh, Psalm 31.15 says, My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. And so when these times of our lives begin to change, begin to shift, they only do that with the unchanging love of the Lord Jesus behind them. And when the Lord Jesus wants to assure us 
when we're confused, when, when we're in a dark place, when we can't see what's coming, when we're confused. Do you remember how he reassures us? He did this in John chapter 10 of this gospel. You and I are in his hands. Do you remember that? And because of that, we are absolutely safe and secure. A couple of verses later in John 10, he says, We are in the Father's hand and are secure. So we're in this place of absolute safety, nestled near the heart of God Himself. And so we don't have to know everything. Because the events of my life and the events of your life are not cast by some kind of fortune, like we might cast a pair of dice, which has no order or purpose to it. The Bible says in in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, that the lot is cast into the lap, this way of gambling or throwing dice like we do today. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So you may think you're a great roller of the dice. Wow, you've got a neck. Yeah, every time. Yeah, you're great. Woo, you're doing great. Every decision of those dice is of the Lord, not you at all. Chance is a pagan idea, brothers and sisters. And it's a pagan idea that the teaching of the Word of God demolishes with its truth. If you want to be happy as a Christian... You would be best to be done with chance. A Christian who never speaks of luck, but believes that from the smallest thing to the greatest thing, all things are ordained by our Lord. Some things I catch myself even sometimes, sometimes we, even Christians, we use the phrase, that's a God thing. Now, I think it's right and proper to give God thanks and credit for what he does. But let's not ever forget that God, everything, is a God thing. Everything. Even the hardest and most difficult events in our lives. We want to remember, we must remember, that that he works all things together. For the good of those who love him. We dare not leave out any event, either small or great. The creeping of a tiny ant across the pavement is as certainly arranged by the decree of our God as much as the march of a virus through a nation, as much as the outcome of a great war. As much as the achievement of some great purpose in your life, it is all in his hands. If I will, Jesus says. And you and I need to believe there is nothing that is outside the governance of the Lord Jesus Christ and his rule over all things. And when we say with David, my times are in your 
hand. And we read the Lord Jesus here saying, if it is my will, I want you to notice that that reveals the graciousness of the Lord. I mean, think about this for a minute. Take, take this situation where we've got Peter and John and Jesus on the, on the beach after they've eaten the fish, and you know, we, we know where they are, right? Now, now, now let's come away from them. Let's, let's, let's come far back to the, uh, what do they call that? In the telephoto, right? Or something in the, in the lens. We, we come way back. We see the bigger picture here. Here is the Lord of glory raised from the dead, right? The third time they've experienced this. He is the Lord of glory. And he has all heaven to worship him. He has all the worlds in the universe to govern. And yet, Jesus says, if it is my will that he... In other words, Jesus' will, which runs the whole universe down to the tiniest atoms, he's concerned with John. With John. One person. He's concerned with Peter. He's concerned with you. It is a very personal will, this will of the Lord Jesus. He makes our concerns his concerns. He takes up our matters into his hands, the hands that hang the stars in place, the hands that hold up everything by the word of his power. Those hands have me within them and you within them. And his concern is for us. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing in your life that is beyond the scope of his concern and attention. Heather Hills, there is, there is nothing more wonderful than to wake up in the morning and to know that every part of this day, every part of this week, every part of the rest of my life, Everything is in the will and plan and purpose of this God. Everything. And he's always caring for his people. So tomorrow morning, don't go out of the world. Don't go out into the world, back into your offices, back into your circumstances, and think for one nanosecond that God isn't there. And don't come home from work at night, whether you're coming home to a happy situation or coming home to a sad situation or coming home to a lonely situation. Don't come home thinking, when I get home, I'm going to be totally on my own. You're never on your own. And don't go to bed tonight and think that somehow you've been abandoned or wake up tomorrow feeling that you're absolutely alone in the world because if you are a child of God you are never alone your father is with you 
You see how good God is to reassure us by his word of his grace and his concern for our lives? John lived the rest of his life, good times and bad times, learning that Jesus' testimony would be true in his life. But then thirdly, notice verses 24 and 25, that the testimony is true for everyone. He goes on to write the last words in the book, verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. The we there in verse 24 is, could, could, could mean a few different things, but uh, it's probably best understood as what we call in literature an editorial we. In other words, John is probably speaking of himself here. He does this a couple other times, Third John, verse 12, uh, even back at John chapter 1, verse 14, um, he may have done that. Um, it could also mean uh, the group of people who are with John at Ephesus, the group of elders and Christians that, were, that are there. But John is testifying that Jesus' words are totally true and utterly unbreakable. John had been an eyewitness to Jesus. And he had written down this wonderful, massive gospel for the church. In fact, the word written there is very important. It's, it's not just that he wrote down the story as he remembered it. This is the word, the word written here is the word normally used of the Holy Scripture. He had written this down knowing what he was writing down. Knowing that this was Holy Scripture, that this was the witness of the apostle for the church, for you and me. And in the closing remarks here, we're, we're reminded of the extent and the limits of this apostolic word that has been passed down to us. It is not and was never meant to be exhaustive or complete, but it is perfect and it is inspired, and it is enough for us. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It's a neat image to think about, isn't it? The earth consumed by books about Jesus. (laughs) We haven't been told all there is to be told about Jesus and his life. John himself has been very selective, even compared to the other Gospels. He only selected seven signs. Jesus probably did more than seven signs in a day. But John picked out seven of them as an illustration for us of the kinds of things that were going on all the time in the life of Jesus. And he explained the significance of each of them. Peter would die the violent death that Jesus predicted. John would live to a ripe old age. And in his very old age, having been the minister in Ephesus for some time, he would be exiled to a pretty savage island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. He's given us this gospel. He's given us his epistles. And he's given us the book of Revelation written while in exile on that Isle of Patmos. And here at the end of the book, I think that we're being encouraged not to speculate 
about ourselves. Not to speculate about what may or may not have happened in Jesus' life. Sometimes we we fall into that trap, don't we? Where we do a Bible study or we think about a a text and, and all the things that we're interested in about the text is what isn't there. And we want to know all the little details that, that aren't in the Bible. And there's a danger to that. There's a danger in, in, in our curiosity driving us away from what's actually there for us. The living Word of God. What we need to know is there. We've got enough in the books that we've been given. According to Peter in his epistle, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. Everything. We're to do what Jesus told Peter to do. Follow me. We're to do what John was doing. Following Jesus. I'll ask the praise team to return to the front for our final song here in a moment. As they're coming, just a final thought. You know, the Lord may determine in His will that you work in business or in industry or in education or in the community or in a home or in a prison or collecting the garbage. He may want us to be faithful to Him in a bad job, difficult job, with lots of oppression. He may want us to be faithful to Him in a difficult area, in poverty, or in wealth. In times of prolonged sickness, in times of great health. But whatever we are doing and wherever we find ourselves, I hope that you see from the writing of Scripture this morning the great business of the believer, of you and I, is to simply keep following Jesus. It's our mission statement. Do you remember it? Sharing Jesus with our neighbors and what? Following Him together. It's what it's all about. Brothers and sisters, leave the details to Him. The stuff that you don't need to know. The stuff that He doesn't let you know. Leave it to Him and trust Him. Do you know what I think you and I will find when we get to heaven one day? I think we'll find when we get to heaven one day that we'll, be, we'll probably be happy with the choices that Jesus made for our lives. Do you, think that, do you think that might be true? Aren't you glad that we can trust Jesus? There's some, there's some people going through hard times right now, even in our assembly. 
I hope you surround them with love and care, prayer, help, groceries, meals, child care, maybe even paying off a bill for them. But even the hard stuff and the most difficult stuff is all part of the plan. And so when the Christian is confronted with trial and tragedy, he doesn't throw up his hands and say, woe is me. But perhaps he lifts up his hands and worships God for knowing what is best. And I think if there's a message in the Gospel of John for each of us today, brothers and sisters, it would be this. Keep following Jesus. Persevere. This journey that we're on is not easy, but it ends in glory. So let's be faithful. Let's not allow ourselves to be sidestepped to be sidetracked. Let's not allow ourselves to get caught up in all the what-ifs of life. Let's not allow ourselves to get caught up in jealousy, always comparing ourselves to other people. Let's not allow ourselves to get caught up in the things that don't matter. And let's be busy about the business of following our Savior. Let's stand together, brothers and sisters. Let's sing a song that I think sums up this expression of trust and commitment from us to our Lord.